Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. When Megan was very little, just a little toddler, uh, I remember one evening we were having rice and corn and some other stuff, but somehow in the preparations of Megan's plate, one piece of corn ended up in her rice. Now that may not seem like a big deal, but to Megan it was a very big deal. And she began to cry, and she was distraught. And, and so I, I went over, and I got a spoon, and I, I got the corn out of her rice, and the crying stopped. <laughs> Megan was a perfectionist. You know, there are a lot of people who are perfectionists in life. And she, by the way, she's not that way now. She, okay, I <laughs> just to let you know that. Uh, she's not. Uh, but uh, people are perfectionists in life, and, and when we, we become perfectionists in life, what we find is that oftentimes we live a miserable existence because life isn't perfect. Uh, we all face difficulties and trials. I dare say if I was to go through this, this whole group assembled here today, there would be many who have gone through some kind of difficulty or hardship in this past week. God means for us to place our faith in Jesus Christ. To trust Him, not just in life, but to trust Him with our salvation. And some people desire to earn their salvation through some kind of means. Through, uh, through their goodness or whatever. But you know what the Bible teaches? It is not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to His mercy, He has saved us with a washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So God saves us by grace, and and we have a need for that salvation. Every human being alive has a need for it. Uh, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's what Acts says. You see, we have a need for salvation, and it's a need that only Jesus can fulfill. He gives a gift of salvation. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In this scripture that we're going to study this morning, uh, Matthew is sharing the teaching, the sermon of Jesus, and Jesus is seeking to communicate what I believe is a radical ethic, uh, a radical standard by which God desires us to live. You see... Most of us measure ourselves by other people. And we think, well, compared to old so-and-so down the street, I'm doing pretty well. I feel pretty good about myself. And so we do that. And we measure according to outward standards. But as, as Matthew records and Jesus speaks here, he is saying, look, you need to go beyond the outward acts of righteousness because God looks at the heart. And God desires you to be obedient from the heart, and not just to fulfill the letter of the law, but to fulfill the spirit of the law. Um, I, I heard a situation one time where a police officer pulled a man over for running through a stop sign. And the man had slowed down and just kind of gently rolled through the intersection. And the cop pulled him on over 
just, just after the intersection. And he said, you didn't stop at that stop, stop sign. He said, well, yes, I did. He said, no, you didn't. It's what's called a rolling stop. You, you rolled through the stop sign. And the man argued back and forth with him. Yes, I did stop. He said, you want, you want me to uh, show you what the difference between slowing down and stopping is? He, he pulled the man from the car, and he began to punch him violently in the face. And he said, do you want me to slow down, or do you want me to stop? It's, he, was, he was trying to get across the idea of a law. Now, this man wasn't even following the letter of the law, much less the spirit of the law. But God wants us to go beyond the letter of the law to follow the intention behind the law. Now, by the way, you don't do that for salvation. You do that to honor God. So, Jesus is presenting this ethic for two reasons, I believe. One is to challenge God's people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ to live on a different level, to have a different kind of righteousness in their life. But the second reason is to show the impossibility of any human being alive fulfilling perfectly God's requirements. That is why we need Jesus. So we're called to put our trust in Jesus for salvation. And we're called as God's people to follow him with our heart. Look with me in Matthew uh, chapter 5 and verse 17. The pursuit of perfection is the title of my message today because there's so many people pursuing perfection, seeking to find and earn their way to heaven, but that is a futility. Uh, Look at verse 17. Don't assume that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass in the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you moron, will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, the judge to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. I assure you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penalty. You have heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. For if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, 
Everyone who divorces his wife except in the case of sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it is God's throne, or by earth because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. Neither should you swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. Don't I know that one? But let your word be yes, uh, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And the one who wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, there's probably a million questions going on in your mind right now about this. And that's the point. This scripture was supposed to be shocking. By the way, in, in oral societies, oftentimes what would be done is they would say something shocking to get people's attention to cause them to think about it. Have you ever heard something like that? Maybe you had a teacher in school that said something shocking. And you're like, oh, what, what do you mean by that? You're thinking in your mind. And you begin to think about it. You begin to mull it over. Maybe you heard somebody on television say something you didn't agree with. And you begin to think about it. And you begin to mull it over in your mind. And in the process, you, you begin to understand some new things about why you believe what you believe. Or maybe you change your opinion and come across to a different opinion. Jesus is doing that here in this scripture. Uh, he is bringing some, some shock value to, to help people to think about the fact that it's not enough just to go through the outward ritual, what's expected by human beings, but we have to go beyond to the issues of the heart. Now, uh, I want you to see several things that, that this pursuit of perfection uh, several things that people do to try to earn their way to heaven and to see why those things are insufficient in and of themselves. The first thing I want you to see is there's an insufficient law. There's an insufficient law. Look at verse 17. Don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Can I tell you, Jesus is the only one in all of history, who ever fulfilled the law. He's the only one. And had he not come to fulfill the law, no one would have fulfilled it. I will tell you something. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. Now, he not only fulfilled it through in obedience outwardly, he fulfilled the intention of the law. Uh, he was the 
culmination of everything that came before. All of the scriptures in the Old Testament looked forward to Jesus. And, and when Jesus came, the sacrifices, the tabernacle, the temple, all of those things looked forward to Jesus and were fulfilled in the life, work, and ministry of Jesus and will continue to be fulfilled when he comes again. So Jesus said, I don't came uh, to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. But it's inadequate for just the reason that none of us besides Jesus fulfill it. That's why Jesus had to come. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I dare say everybody in this room has told a lie at one time in their life. Maybe you've stolen food off your brother or sister's plate. Uh, maybe you have been disrespectful to your parents. Okay, Now, all of these different things that you see in the Ten Commandments are things that we've done. I mean, most of us have done them outwardly. Okay? That's not even getting to the heart. Jesus says, okay, you've said it. You've heard it said you, you shouldn't commit murder. But let me tell you what I say. I say you lash out at another human being in anger and spite. You have broken the spirit of the command. Now, is Jesus saying go out and kill them? No. He's saying that it's still better not to kill the person. But that if your heart's not right, God sees that too. And you've got to go beyond to the level of the heart. And so uh, the law can never be sufficient to get us to heaven. I hear some people say, well, I just try to follow the good book and I believe I'll get to heaven. Well, if you mean by that you're trusting in Jesus as the only way to heaven, well, that's good. But if you mean by that that you're trying to earn your way by being good enough and by keeping God's law, you will never do it. Because James says, if you break the law at just one point, you're guilty of all of it. You're a lawbreaker. So we stand before God, apart from Jesus, as guilty in the eyes of God. That's why we need Jesus. Because Jesus was innocent and is innocent. He lived a perfect life. He died as our substitute, took the penalty for our sins upon himself. And God, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, credits his perfect life to us. So don't put your trust in the law to get to heaven. Don't think that if you do enough good things that are found in Scripture, somehow you'll get there. You won't. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, also as believers, understand that you are called to live better than what the law says. How do you do that? Through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus came so that we could be redeemed, but he also came so that he could pay the price and the Holy Spirit himself could come and live inside of us so that we could live the righteous life God desires. So that you not only fulfill the outward things, but you fulfill the intent that God had. You see, that's the problem with the Pharisees. They, they were all concerned about the letter of the law, but they were not fulfilling the intent of the law. So, as God's people, we're called to go beyond the outward condition to the heart of the matter and to love people as God loves them. So, uh, there was an inadequate law. You can't get to heaven by following God's law. Secondly, I want you to see an inadequate religion. An inadequate religion. Look at verse 20. 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this may not be shocking to you and me, but it was shocking to the people of that day. Why? Because the scribes and the Pharisees were the most religious people. They fasted twice a week. I won't ask for a show of hands of how many of you fast twice a week. Twice a week they fasted. They would, they would do uh, all of these prayer rituals, and, and, and do, they were always doing things outwardly, and people were just amazed. Boy, I wish I could live like a Pharisee. I mean, that sounds different to us in our culture. We look at Pharisees negatively because of what we see in the Bible. But in those days, a Pharisee was a great guy. I mean, could not. Who is religious like the Pharisees? They're the most religious people we know. Jesus said to the Pharisee, you're a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers. You look good on the outside, but you're full of deadness and rottenness. Jesus was looking past the outward into the inward. And he said, look. Your hearts are wicked. You must repent or you will likewise perish. They were shocked by this. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, uh, when I ask the question, how do you know that you will go to heaven? And, And they say, well, I go to church. Can I tell you, you know, some people call us narrow minded because we believe Jesus is the only way. I'm. I don't believe that all Baptists are going to heaven. I don't. You can come and you can warm a pew and you can be involved in the church and you can be as lost as you could be. You can learn to say the right terminology. You can go through the baptistry and get wet. You can do all of these things. But if you have not repented of your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ, you will split hell wide open. Religion hasn't ever saved anybody. Now, there is a good religion. When Jesus Christ saves a person's soul and they are religious in the sense of seeking to please and honor Jesus Christ, that's a good thing. But it won't get you to heaven. God wants you to be religious, sure. God wants you to come to church. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves as a matter of some is. That's in the scripture. But it won't save you. If you're a child of God already, it will help you. It will strengthen your walk. If you're not a child of God, keep coming. We need you to be here and hear the gospel. But, but it doesn't get you to heaven. Only Jesus, putting your trust in Jesus and what he has done on the cross to save you, only that gets you to heaven. There's, there's nothing you can, you can do outwardly, religiously, that could get you to heaven. I was telling him Wednesday night, that the, the president of my college uh, had been a pastor in, in previous years before he became our, our college president. And he was serving as a pastor in a church, and he went to the School of Prophets in the Dallas uh, and uh, heard a message and surrendered and gave his heart to Christ. He was a pastor, and he was lost. I'm telling you, religion doesn't do it. You have to know Jesus Christ. You have to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Repent of sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. So let's pursue the perfection. What were they doing? There's an inadequate law. There's an inadequate religion. Thirdly, an inadequate morality. An inadequate morality. How many of you have ever called somebody an idiot? 
I have, okay? <laughs> I'm just being real. I've done that more times than I can count. And and I've had to, you know, and I'll do it in front of my kids. I'll say, oh, okay. Sorry, Lord. <laughs> you know, uh, that's what he's saying here. You heard, do not murder. But you say, fool, moron. The word, the, the word was raka, but it's just a word of contempt. Like, you, you idiot. You know, that's the idea. You ever done that? You've broken it. That's what he says right here in verse 21. You ever look at someone with lust and desire and have wrong thoughts about that person? You've committed the sin of adultery inwardly. You see, Jesus said your morality, you think you're good because you haven't killed anybody? You think you're good because you haven't cheated on your wife? Uh, You think you're good because of all these other things? But he said, I want to tell you something, that doesn't cut it with God. God expects a higher morality. And none of us fulfill it. Jesus is the only one who did. So... Being moral. I hear people say, well, I do good things. I ask them, how are you going to get to heaven? Well, I do more good things than I do bad things. Won't get you to heaven. Think, well, I'm doing a whole, hey, I'm doing a whole lot better than that person at your church. Sometimes they've named them. (laughs) That's always embarrassing. Uh, that That doesn't cut it. I'm a good person. God wouldn't send me to hell. See, you don't understand God's standard of morality. God's standard is so high, none of us fulfill it. Billy Graham doesn't fulfill it. Um, Jesus is the only one who fulfilled God's standard of morality. And he made people mad when he did it. You remember the story about the man with the withered hand? The Pharisees, they were jealous of Jesus. And so they brought this man into the uh, synagogue because they figured Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath. And according to their elaborate system of Sabbath rules that they had added to the Bible, not to the literal Bible, but they had added in addition to the, the stuff in the Bible, they said, you've got to also follow all these other things. They said, well, Jesus will break our tradition. He'll heal this man on the Sabbath, and then we'll have a reason to accuse him. And so what were they doing? They were plotting, how can we get Jesus? How's that for an attitude to go to church with? That's the attitude to have. How can we get him? I tell you what, there are Baptists all over this country who went to church with that attitude this morning. I'm going to tell you what. It's, that's not the right attitude. But... <clears throat> Jesus looked at the man, and Jesus knew what they were up to. And so he said, what, what is better, to do evil on the Sabbath or to do good? To save life or to destroy it? He knew what they were going to try to destroy his life. And so Jesus was, was speaking to the heart of the issue, and then he reached, he reached out to the man, and he healed him. 
and the man's life was, ever, was never the same. Jesus did the right thing. Because God wasn't concerned about all the Pharisees' legal regulations. God was concerned about a man who was crippled and needed to be healed. God was concerned about a man who needed his heart touched by the power of the Lord. God was concerned about his need. And Jesus reached out and did the right thing. And they didn't like it. So, Jesus... Goodness often got him into trouble. Jesus also spoke honestly with his enemies, got him into trouble. So uh, Jesus fulfilled this morality. No one else has ever fulfilled this morality perfectly. Uh, there's, there's times. Have you ever thought about this? The times you haven't done what you should have done? There was a person in need you should have helped, but you didn't. There's a person you should have prayed for. You knew they were struggling, but you didn't. There was money that you should have given and God touched your heart to give and you didn't give it. You ever thought about that? I mean, God doesn't just consider the things that we do. He also considers the things that we don't do. He examines the attitudes of our hearts. So morality is a dead end to try to get you to heaven. Now, God, Does God want us to be moral? Of course he does. God wants Christians. You know what the Bible says? When the Spirit of God comes to live within the heart of a Christian, the fruit of that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. How would you like to live in a world where everybody had those characteristics? Wouldn't that be awesome? But that doesn't get you to heaven. That's a byproduct of you placing your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God coming in, And as you choose to walk with the Spirit of God, to submit to Him in your life, those fruits will be present. But you will never, as a Christian, always do that. You'll fail. I hear sometimes people say, well, you know, you you get saved by grace and then you keep it by works. That makes absolutely no sense to me. How can you keep what you could never earn yourself? How, How do you have that strength? What's about Jesus says it's eternal life. Why? Because it lasts forever. It happens at the moment you trust Jesus Christ. You're born again. That new life begins in you and it lasts for all eternity. It's a gift of God's grace from beginning to end. Morality is never enough. It has to be God's grace. So there was an inadequate law. There was an inadequate religion, an inadequate morality, and an inadequate means. Look at verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. What's he talking about? He's just finished talking about lust. Uh, If your right hand, verse 30, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. How many volunteers do I have to get your eye gouged out this morning? Anybody? Any hands? Anybody want to get their hands cut off? Anybody? No? No volunteers? Okay. What is Jesus talking about? Does he want people to go around maiming themselves? No, that's not the point of this. By the way, you do know if your eyes gouged out, you've got a second one. And if both of them are gouged out, you've got a mind that has already seen. You can lust without having eyes, okay? You can do evil without having a hand. You can. Jesus' point was not that you solved the problem by doing something radical physically. And, you know, there are people that have had that misunderstanding throughout history. Matter of fact, there was a man 
in the Middle Ages that actually gouged out his eyes because of this verse. That's kind of sad. And you know what he said? He said, I still see dancing ladies in my mind. <laughs> so, didn't work for him. But that wasn't Jesus' point. Some people, go, they go off to a monastery or they, they do all this ascetic stuff where they go without food for days on end just to try to somehow subdue the evil that's in them. That never works. Jesus told Nicodemus these words. He said, you must be born again. God has to come in and change your heart. There has to be a supernatural work of the Spirit. When you place your trust in Jesus Christ and you repent of your sin, God changes your heart. He makes you new inside and gives you a new set of desires so that you can live for Him. So why did Jesus say these words? Because Jesus was seeking to show them the seriousness of their sin. How valuable is your eye to you? What price tag would you put on that? How valuable is your hand to you? Your right hand. Have you ever called somebody, he's my right hand man? What do you mean? He's indispensable. I just really need him. He's a great person. Uh, Why? Because your hand is so valuable to you. Jesus says, you need to be so concerned about the heart condition that you have in your heart that it's more important to you than your eye or your hand or anything in life. You need to have a zeal for righteousness. And you need to take drastic measures in your life to live a godly life. That might mean putting a password on your computer. Some of you, if statistics are right, I'm not talking to anybody individual. If statistics are right, there's a portion who are sitting here today who view pornography on a regular basis. You, need to do, you don't need to continue that. You need to do something serious in your life. You need to say to somebody you trust, hey, put a password on this so I can't visit these sites. Or maybe your cable television, you need to do that. But you need to do something drastic. Some of you may need to move to another city. You're being tempted right now by an extramarital affair. And it's going to destroy your marriage. It's going to destroy your reputation. It's going to destroy your witness. And you're struggling with that right now. You need to do something drastic. Don't go down that path. That's what Jesus is saying. Cut it off. Do something drastic. So that you can walk with God. Now, by the way, just because you move to another town doesn't mean you won't have, a, have an affair. You may take that step as a way of distancing yourself from the problem. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit of God is going to need to empower you to live the godly life that you need to live. God teaches both things. Both, don't put, put sin at a close, easy proximity to you if, if you can help it. But also, you need to walk in the Spirit of God. So I tell you all that to tell you this. There's no means that you can use to get you to heaven either. Some people think if they join the right church, if they do the right religious activities, if they fast or if they are baptized or if they, uh, you know, uh, teach Sunday school or become a deacon or a pastor or whatever, that they'll go to heaven. No. There's no means that you can use. If you were to pluck out your eye, if you were to cut out your hand, I'm going to tell you something, there's nothing you could do 
that would just, by the way, that would just show your need for Christ in the first place because the fact that you're having to pluck it out or cut it off means that you've got a really serious problem, a sin issue in your life. So there's none of these things at work. And this is, this is important. Some of you say, well, I'm saved, preacher. Why are you preaching this to me? Listen, some of you uh, know these things, but you need to, to understand this so that you can share this with others. There's a whole lot of people out there in the world that don't understand this. So let them know that it's not by your religion. It's not by your morality. It's not by the law of God. And it's not by anything that you do and any performance that you do. No, it is by grace. Grace, somebody said, is to be put as an acrostic. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what, that's what grace is. God gives to us a salvation that we don't deserve. Because Christ deserved it. Christ paid the price. He lived the perfect life. He died the death. And, and our sin was placed upon him at Calvary. And, and the Bible says that the Father turned his back. And the, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son in eternity past was broken on the cross because our sin was placed upon him. And then Jesus said those words, it is finished. The price has been paid. And three days later, he came out of the tomb victorious. That's the gospel. Jesus did that for you and for me. So that we could be forgiven for our sin because God is just. And there's no other way for God to forgive sin than that justice be carried out. And it was carried out on his son on your behalf and upon my behalf. So that we could be forgiven. Our, our sin debt could be forever canceled. Hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus said this. To him that received him. He's talk, talking about, this is in the Gospel of John. To him who received him, Lord Jesus. To them gave he the right to be called the children of God. Even to those who believe on his name. Some of you here today who have put your trust in your goodness. And you need to make a choice today to turn from your own resources and your own uh, sin that you have in your heart. And to put your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Some of you are here today and you've, you've thought, well, I could never be saved. I've done too much stuff in the past. Can I tell you, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. No matter who you are today, your need, if you don't know Christ, your need is to repent of your sin, make a choice to turn, and put your trust in Jesus Christ. He'll change you. He'll give you a new heart. He'll empower you to walk with Him. But you must make the choice. Christ is holding out the gift. Salvation. Eternal life. A relationship with God, but you must reach out and receive it. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, showing us so clearly, God, how pointless it is for us to try to merit your goodness and your salvation.